Hey there, welcome to the Theology Of podcast. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Riker. And we're two college students who love studying scripture and having meaningful biblical conversations. When we think about theology, most of our thoughts probably stay within the four walls of the church. But in doing so, we're really limiting our understanding of God's infinite nature. And so each episode, we'll be tackling an everyday, secular-seeming topic and discussing what the faith has to say about it both conceptually and practically. So thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to buckle up, keep your hands and feet inside the proverbial vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. Let's go. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us once again on the Theology of Podcast. My name is Benjamin, and I'm joined by my friend Riker. And as always, you know the drill. Today we are jumping in to a theology of celebration. And man, I've just been so excited about all of our topics lately because I feel like everything we've been researching has been just so fruitful and mm-hmm. fulfilling. So I'm really excited for for this episode. This one's no exception. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. Whoop, whoop. And whoop, whoop. Get ready to uh, party. <laughs> and as we always do, love to start off with a little bit of a definition and how we're going to be characterizing the idea of celebration for today's episode and, and how we're going to be diving into it specifically. To start off with a quote by Richard Foster, he has a book called Celebration of Discipline. And he, he says, celebration is central to all the spiritual disciplines. Without a joyful spirit of festivity, the disciplines become dull death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. And I think that that gives us a nice little bit of context for what celebration brings to our lives and how we see the Pharisees in biblical days and how, you know, Richard Foster here is kind of calling us out if we're not celebrating in our daily lives that we're becoming modern-day Pharisees and and we're dull and death-breathing tools in the hands of modern Pharisees. So, yeah, just just to kick us off, that's a good one. Yeah, that's actually really interesting how he connects the idea of celebration with spiritual disciplines. Because mm. I bet you if you polled American Christians, those two words would not be associated with one another. Right. Yeah. Um, and funny enough, Dallas Willard has a book that's called The Spirit of the Disciplines, hmm. where he also talks about the idea of celebration. And he says that celebration is the completion of worship for it dwells on the greatness of God and shows in his goodness to us. Mm. And again, you have that interesting connection between discipline and spiritual maturity with celebration. But Mm. what he seems to be suggesting here is that by celebrating we're acknowledging God's goodness as seen through our own eyes in our own context. Yeah. The idea of being the completion of worship, right? It's the the icing on the cake. We're celebrating, we're praising, we're dwelling on the greatness of God. Yeah, that's super cool. Mm -hmm. So that sets celebration in the context of spiritual matters. But like you said, we want to define what this is and to do that, I think we have to go even further down and address the question, what is celebration specifically on its own? Yeah. So 
the word celebration can be taken two ways. It can be seen as a noun or as a verb. And that gives us an interesting perspective that goes beyond just some grammar detail. Because that shows that celebration is partly about an event, but it's also about a feeling. Hmm. And if you had to pinpoint that feeling, I would describe it as crystallized joy, Mm. right? That you just feel when you're celebrating with other people. You just feel God's joy in that experience. And so most of the time when we use celebration, we're probably going to be talking about the event, but the crystallized joy is still going to be involved too because it indwells the noun sense of the word. Yeah, so we're definitely going to be diving into more of the event side of things. But yeah, like you said, it's really good to have that feeling in the back of our brains because uh, that permeates the event itself. Mm -hmm. It's the reason for the event, if you will. Um, But also understanding that celebrations come in all shapes and sizes. They can be small. They can be really, really big. They can be for uh, a number of different reasons, which we're going to get into here in just a bit. But uh, realizing that celebration can be a part of our daily discipline, uh, but it can also be something that we set apart a specific time for. It can be something on the long term where a celebration is a big event in the middle of a long period of time, or it could just be a mini celebration as you go about your day. So um, very broad term. Again, as always, we tend to choose some of the broadest terms out there. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really beautiful thing that you're mentioning there, because there are some celebrations that are once in a lifetime. Yeah. Right? They're really big, really momentous. And then there's other celebrations that are weekly or monthly or even daily, like you were saying. Right. And those complement each other really well. Yeah. Because I feel like one without the other would be worse off. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. So that's one aspect of celebration. Here's a couple more Celebration is liturgical, right? And we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the theology of seasons. Yeah. But it has this idea of repetition, and not every celebration does, but a lot do. That's part of their design. Also, celebrations are linking. Hmm. And here's what I mean by that. Celebrations have the opportunity to link us with one another, the opportunity to link us with God, with good, beautiful things of this world. Mm, Yeah. And so it's about connecting those dots together. Mm, Yeah, that's a good point. Also, celebrations are occasion-based, right? We always ask the question, so what's the occasion? And Mm, yeah, It's kind of a mindless thing that we do, but (laughs) when we really focus on it, that shows us that celebrations are built around something, whether that's Mm. something that is significant in and of itself, or if it's something that we turn into a celebration. Apparently, today, the day that we're recording this episode, it's National Suspenders Day. What? No way. Yeah, so I... Hope that you're celebrating by wearing your suspenders. Wearing my, I'm going to go get them on right now. All right. Sounds good. But literally anything you can think of, it probably has 
a holiday associated with it. Yeah. So just because it's occasion-based doesn't mean that it has to be formal. There's still that room for spontaneity. But yeah, would you would you agree with that? All celebration revolves around something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there has to be some sort of reason for your celebration or for the the little party that you're throwing, uh, and it could be the smallest things. Could be you made it through a big test or. You got a promotion at your job, so you go celebrate out with a night out to eat or something like that. Um, but there is there is always a reason, at least in the terms that I'm thinking about celebration, there's always a reason for that party. And yeah, which leads us back to it. It's occasion-based. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Also, something that's really cool about celebrations is that they are monotony-breaking. Mm. Because we have our ordinary everyday life, everyday schedule, and celebrations take us a step back from all of that and force us to focus on this moment right here. Mm, yeah. That's something that's special. Yeah. It's almost like we're staking a claim on the timeline and saying, hmm. yeah, I have my everyday life going on, but here at this moment, I'm going to choose to change things up. Yeah. And to plant a flag by feasting with friends, doing things like that. Yeah, that's such a cool way of thinking about it. I had never thought about it that way. You're kind of, you know, claiming that day, that time for yourself or celebrating that occasion of which you're you're bringing up. So, that's hmm, cool way to think about it. And I think something else really cool about celebration is that it combines so many of our previous episodes into one big amalgamation of, yeah. of joy and happiness. Like, you know, you mm. always think about standing around at a birthday party or some sort of celebration and you're probably talking with somebody and sharing stories or you're catching up. Um, so storytelling goes into that or seasons like you were talking about earlier. There are points in our lives that are cyclical and there are parts of celebration that are cyclical as well. And so it Brings in that idea of seasons. Community is a no-brainer. Uh, you're always around people when you're celebrating. Or maybe not, and, and that's okay. Food, another given, probably are, is available at that celebration or that party that you're going to. Even the idea of travel, you know, going to a place for some sort of celebration. The idea of home, it could be at your home with just a few close friends or family. So it could be very more intimate sharing a feast around the table, stuff like that. So yeah, man, this is cool to kind of have it all wrapped up into this one idea of celebration. Yeah, that's really interesting how it worked out that way and how it yeah. all really does have connections with one another. Yeah. So that answers the question of what celebrations are. But the next question we have to ask ourselves is, should we celebrate? Mm. Because, believe it or not, the church has a variety of opinions on this topic. Yeah. Right. Some people think that celebration is worldly and corrupted, mm -hmm. and other people think it is the best and that is all that the church should be doing. And so 
how do we unpack that and answer that question? To start us off again, a quote from Dallas Willard's book, he says this, we dishonor God as much by fearing and avoiding pleasure as we do by dependence upon it or living for it. Dang. Yeah, it's interesting to think about celebration as the in the other side from from the other side. Right. Cuz we so often can focus on overindulgence. Right. That we can almost become scared of it or become too hands off. Right. And that's just a tendency for pretty much all sins out there. We have this risk of falling into a different strain of sin by avoiding one. Sure. And so I think this shows that idea really well and shows that we need to find a balance between these two things. Yeah. Also, in this chapter, Dallas Willard mentions a quote from The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, where Screwtape tells Wormwood, all the same, celebration is God's invention, not ours. He made the pleasures all our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. Hmm. Which brings up this idea that Satan isn't inventing pleasures that distract us from the pleasures that God made, right? Instead, right. he's taking good pleasures and he's twisting them and yeah, changing them from the way that God designed it. Hmm. But he doesn't have the ability to make them because that would be making something that has goodness in it. Hmm. Yeah, th this actually reminds me of our conversation with games of how we've gone into something that God has called us to do, delight, to play games, to, to have fun. But Satan has used that again to, to twist that up. And, and he's not created other games that are purely bad. He's simply gone into the pure and good games that we already have and he's twisted them around. So, yeah. Man, we're just connecting all the episodes today. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is a new record. Exactly. On the other side of things, there are some dangers that we need to be aware of um, on this topic, right? Gluttony, yeah. drunkenness, sexual immorality, those are sins. Yeah. We can say that straight up. Yeah. Um, and so if our parties are involving those things, then there's no way around it. Right. That's not glorifying to God. And I don't think we can accurately say that a party is glorifying to God if God isn't invited, hmm. right? Because we can idolize the party itself and forget that celebration is supposed to be acknowledging the gifts that the Lord has given us and recognizing his role in that. Yeah. But if we neglect to do that, then that's also something that's sinful. Yeah. So, as of right now, we have some arguments for celebration and also some arguments against celebration. And the question becomes, how do we reconcile those two together? First, we have to acknowledge the two extremes to avoid, right? We should sure. steer clear of both extreme abstinence that you see in Jehovah's Witnesses hmm. and even some more legalistic Christians where we completely chuck out celebration and think that it's just worldly. Sure. But then on the other extreme, we 
also aren't called to Red Solo Cup indulgence and having (laughs) parties like this world has. Right. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of the practical applications that we may be pulling from this episode are going to be directed at that middle ground, uh, observing and participating in celebrations and acknowledging that they are things sent from God, but also, like everything, realizing that our world has taken it and turned it upside down and that we as Christians should be ones to be wary of those things, um, to not, you know, indulge in the, the red solo cup lifestyle, but also to recognize that celebration is healthy. Um, and God calls us to celebrate certain things in certain ways. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how we're going to be looking at today's episode. That, uh, actually reminds me of a, a passage in Romans where Paul is, is discussing certain traditions and eating certain foods and festivals and, and stuff like that and different things that the Jewish people would partake of. And he says in Romans 14, verses 5 through 6, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So understanding that we're all coming from different walks of life and Mm -hmm. that each of us have different ideas of where God is calling us to celebrate and understanding that if we're doing it in glory of the Lord and and giving thanks to God while doing whatever it is that we're doing, that is blessed and, and that we are called in that way to indulge or not indulge in certain things, um, but also recognizing the dangers of the extremes like we just talked about and how we as Christians should not fall into those extremes, uh, but rather see celebration as a good thing in moderation and that we should be doing everything for him no matter how we do it. So now just jumping into some real life application uh, and some celebrations that we still celebrate today, uh, but also that we've seen in the history of the Bible, as well as some other people groups still celebrating even to this day as well. Um, We're going to kind of break them up into different people groups that celebrate different things. And so first beginning with some traditional Jewish celebrations that we see throughout the entire Bible uh, really is... uh, just the idea of, of the big seven, the, the seven big Jewish celebrations that we can tie back to and, and that are still celebrated today. Um, and that is Passover, of course, uh, the year of Jubilee, the Festival of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the First Fruits or uh, Bikurim, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, uh, the Day of Atonement, as well as the Feast of the Tabernacles, also known as Sukkot. But uh, yeah, anything to say about those? Yeah, a couple things. One, we see that there's seven of them, which connects with the idea of the Sabbath and Mm -hmm. this idea of seven in the Bible. So that's an interesting thing to note. Also, when you heard Benjamin reading off those celebrations, you probably recognize some of them. 
maybe you didn't recognize some other ones, but it's important to realize that these were times of gathering and of celebration and of feasting as a community. Yeah. And they really were anchor points in the Jewish calendar where people would revolve their lives around the celebration that we just had, the one that's coming up in the future. And so these really are huge when it comes to the culture and the identity of the Israelites. Yeah. And going back to what we were saying just a little bit earlier about how they had festivals for multiple different things. There was a article that outlined this really well, and it basically just said that uh, some had been formally commanded by God in the Torah and some were not. Some were tied to historical events, such as Passover, the dedication of the temple, Purim, uh, Hanukkah, and some were not. Um, Some were based on harvest festivals or pre-Jewish celebrations, and some were not. Some were national, and some were tied to rites of passage, like circumcision and weddings. Some were more ad hoc. They were community feasts, like described in Luke 15. Um, Some were highly religious, such as the Day of Atonement, and some were really not religious at all. Um, such as like just a simple community feast. And uh, some were even non-religious where a religious significance was tied to it, like Shavuot. Um, So, you know, these are being used and and happening for a variety of different reasons. They're not all just because God commanded them. Some are, are just happening for the heck of it, and they have some smaller significance behind it, such as a marriage or community feasts again, like described in in Luke 15. So they're not all these huge, like written in the stars, God had specifically commanded all of these things to happen. Right. And even in those smaller feasts, they still had the ability to glorify God, but just maybe in a different way. Sure. And part of the reason we bring all of these celebrations and festivals up is it demonstrates that this concept that we're communicating of Christian celebration isn't just some evangelical syncretism where we're looking out at the world around us and Mm. thinking, oh, this looks fun. How do we make this Christian and put our sticker on it? Um, (laughs) But no, celebrations are built into the very foundation of Judeo-Christianity. So it's not just something new based on our cultural context today. Yeah, good point. Uh, Moving on into some more Christian celebrations that not necessarily have come out of the the Jewish tradition, but things that that have been bookmarked in the Christian calendar, if you will. Um, Of course, Easter, Christmas, um, baptisms, as well as things like potlucks. You know, it's cool to see how some of those old traditions from Jewish times have permeated their way into Christian culture, but also some things that we have been able to create for ourselves just based on our own faith and beliefs itself. Yeah, for sure. And focusing specifically on the first two, Easter and Christmas, this demonstrates that we as Christians have the ultimate reason to celebrate. Yeah. And so that should cause us to have a monopoly on the area of celebration, right? Christians should be able to celebrate more fully than any non-believer because (laughs) that celebration is directed towards a purpose that is ultimate. 
and eternal. Yeah, that's really great. And then zooming out even further, we have universal celebrations that Mm. all people celebrate. Yeah. Like weddings or funerals, births or birthdays. And so these are celebrations that aren't explicitly Christian. (laughs) And yet when you really think about them, they are so connected with Christianity. Yeah. Because when we understand the identity of humans as image bearers of God, then birth becomes a big deal. And marriage as something that God has ordained since the very beginning is, again, pointing us back towards him. Mm -hmm. And death is this significant moment in our understanding of things. Yeah. And so that goes to show that for Christians, even though we're celebrating the same types of events as other people, they should have distinct special meaning through God and the way that he has created things. Yeah. So, Benjamin, here's a trivia question for you. How many biblical languages are there? Uh, three, right? There's Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Uh-huh. Actually, oh, there's a fourth one. Oh. Celebration. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. <laughs> All corny jokes aside, (laughs) celebration is so interconnected with the language and the symbolism of scripture. Hmm. And we see that, again, permeating all the way through, starting like we talked about earlier with Israel and the festivals that shaped their culture and their worship. Hmm. Also going into the New Testament with Jesus through his ministry, the fact that the Son of Man came eating and drinking um, and being with sinners and Pharisees and eating meals with them and celebrating Jewish holidays, as well as his parables, which especially in Luke are just full of this image of celebrations and feasts. Yeah, really. all throughout it. Yeah. And then ultimately... As we talked about in last week's episode, you have the ultimate celebration that is the culmination of scripture being the marriage supper of the lamb. Yeah. So it's everywhere in the Bible, man. It's it from the beginning to the end. It is full of celebration. Uh, It's not just a single thing that happens with one singular generation. It like you said, permeates across multiple generations. It's it's a part of their way of life. Yeah, that gives us the more overarching understanding of celebration as it's used in scripture. Mm-hmm. But we also see some really specific advice that scripture gives us about how we should party biblically. Yeah. So yeah, let's 
take some time and maybe unpack a couple of those to start going towards a practical application of all this. Yeah, for sure. Um, just starting off, uh, I'd love to start with the Psalms of praise and see how um, in the Psalms they party worshipfully. They are completely worshipful of the Lord in their praises and uh, celebrations. And so beginning with just a few specific ones uh, that I was able to pull off the top of my head, uh, Psalm 150, where it's talking about praising the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and lyre, praise him with timbrel and dancing, praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's just a such a great way to end the book of Psalms. Mm. And I think it's, yeah, just a, such a powerful way of seeing how uh, in their celebration and the use of different instruments. Uh, as a music major, I, I appreciate that. But uh, just so cool that everything is so geared towards praise Something else is in uh, Psalm 118, verse 24, where it says, The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Psalm 149, verse 5, uh, goes on to say, Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. And just kind of concluding with one last one, and there are so many more uh, psalms of praise that really get after this idea of, of partying, <laughs> celebrating worshipfully. And this is Psalm 112, uh, verse 8 and 9, where it says, Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. And in the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn will be lifted high in honor. So, yeah, I just love to read some of the Psalms of praise sometime and, and see how the psalmists were celebrating back mm. in their day. Yeah, that's a really good point, thinking about how we can celebrate in a way that's worshipful. And I think a big part of that is remembering God's role in our lives and his constant presence and his gifts that he's given us. Um, and just being mindful of those things and, again, anchoring our celebration in that. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really good. Yeah. Also, like we mentioned earlier in this episode, there is a scriptural mandate to celebrate in moderation. If you look mm -hmm. at Luke 15, at the parable of prodigal son, right? this gives us a really good dichotomy of the two unhealthy ways we can go wrong in this area. Mm. You have the younger son who overindulges and spends his father's money and just wastes it all on parties. And then you have the older son who refuses to even join in on the festivities. Right. And then in the middle, you have the father using celebration in a beautiful way as it was intended to welcome right. his son home. Mm, yeah. And, and just a chapter earlier, uh, we see Jesus talking to and actually giving parables about a great banquet and a great celebration. Um, he's at a Pharisee's house and he says, uh, in Luke 14, verses 12 through 14, he says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. 
you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But rather, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And man, if that is not a practical application (laughs) that Jesus literally gives to us on a silver platter um, to when we celebrate, invite those that you would not consider celebrating with. Do things not out of being repaid, uh, but rather out of the goodness of your heart and how Jesus himself would do it. And, you know, going back to episodes with food, he ate with the greatest of these, he ate with the Pharisees, and he ate with the least of these. Uh, and understanding that there's benefits to both and that Jesus himself calls us to eat with the least of these uh, and to to celebrate with them, to uh, have joyful parties alongside them. Right. Yeah, so so I guess that's a great bridge uh, for us to get into some practical application. Um, and uh, I found a really good article uh, on Bible.org, and it was talking about uh, living a life of celebration. And uh, there was a couple really, really good nuggets and, and quotes that I, I would love to, to share. But um, talking more practically um, about planning your own celebrations and, and how to do so, the first way that I, I'd love to introduce is simply the idea of planning. And this actually comes from a section of the Bible that I would not really consider to have anything to do with celebration, uh, but rather looking at it in this light is actually really, really uh, enlightening. And and so it's actually coming from Nehemiah 12, talking about the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. And uh, just a few verses, particularly out of there, starting verse 27, says, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving, with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The musicians were also brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from here, from there, and the musicians had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. And uh, basically the rest of the chapter is, is talking about these joyous celebrations of how they meticulously planned out how different choirs would go in different places, musical instruments, and they were all prescribed by David and how they had all of these very intricate celebration moments that they that they were to hit as they dedicated the wall of Jerusalem to God. And so it was this, this great time of rejoicing. On that day, they offered great sacrifices rejoicing because God had given them great joy. So everything is very meticulously planned, even back to the days of David. Uh, and they're, they're bringing up things in the days of old that were planned out for this dedication. So it's just a great example of, of how we are to plan our celebrations. And yeah, a quote from the Bible.org, that, that article, uh, it says, Life can become mundane and dry, so we should consider establishing special times of celebration to enrich our relationship with God and our joy. It could be a retreat, a week of prayer and worship to celebrate God's goodness, or it could be a celebration of some great success like a graduation, the launch of a church or business where one gathers with others to give thanks to God. God's faithfulness can be celebrated in many ways. However, none of these will come to fruition without deliberate planning, both short-term and long-term. So it, you know, again, just more on the practical side of things. This is a, a thing that, that God calls us to do um, and that we see uh, the Israelites and, and many people of old doing as they prepared to, to worship God, doing a lot of planning and meticulous ordering of things for that celebration. Mm-hmm. Similarly, uh, another thing that is brought up 
multiple times uh, in these many instances of celebration in the Old Testament and the New Testament combined uh, is this idea of corporate worship. And that, first off, should be a practice that we as Christians are all partaking in because there is just such a beautiful thing about coming together. And, you know, that that ties back into what we were talking about with community. So if you want to give yourself a refresher on those episodes, definitely go check those out. But the Bible.org article brought up Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but rather encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Quote from the Bible.org saying, Similarly, in order to live a life of worship, we must be a part of a community of worship. We need to meet with people of God to worship. That is why they all came together from all over Israel. So this ties all the way back to the Old Testament uh, and a lot of those festivals that we were talking about earlier and the journey to Jerusalem that they used to take as a, a corporate body in honor and reverence. So uh, corporate worship is something that we should also take into account when planning our celebrations and get-togethers. And finally, the last real practical application that I got from this source here was to give thanks in everything. Just to, to quote them once more, it says, They are described as a people who knew God through the witness of creation, but neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. The world is characterized by not being thankful. And sadly, many people in the church know God, but yet refuse to glorify him and give thanks to him. As Christians, we are commanded to give thanks in everything. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 18 to 19, where he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. So understanding that the Spirit is working through all of our gatherings, all of our get-togethers, and uh, where two or more are present, there God is dwelling among them and that we should give thanks for that. We need to give thanks in everything. And uh, whether that is for safe travels to that specific spot, whether that is for the long-lost familial bonds that you may be reuniting and re-sparking by gathering, by celebrating, whether that is to celebrate a job promotion, a graduation, a birth, a birthday, anything like that, um, understanding that we should be giving thanks in, in both the good and the bad. There's a really good song for this that I just had to, had to include. It's by Zach Winters. It's called Give Thanks. If you haven't listened to it, you should go check it out. It's really good. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. I hadn't thought about it that way before. But hmm. celebration gives us occasions for thankfulness. Yeah. Yeah, those things are so connected with one another. But yeah, did not think about that. And so to close out this episode... We want to remind you of the invitation that you've been given by the God of the universe to be involved in his celebration that is all about glorifying him and seeing him as holy, holy, holy. And so because of that invitation, we raise a toast to the day when we one day will get to celebrate God perfectly and participate in that everlasting celebration. Yeah. Amen. Here, here. Here, here. <laughs> so there you have it. There's another episode in the books, The Theology of Celebration. Hope you enjoyed. If you want more 
information about this topic or information about this episode, all of that is in the show notes found down below. If you have any suggestions or ideas or comments or questions, we would love to hear from you. So the best way to do that would be either through our Facebook and Instagram pages, The Theology Of, or our email, thetheologyofatoutlook.com. We've got just a handful more episodes for this first season, so look forward to that. We've got good topics coming up. Hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you next time.